Hey, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. On this episode, we want to tackle a central question to our discipleship, and that question is this. How does Jesus's view of money compare with our culture's view of money? What messages does culture send you about how you should view money and feel about money and use money? And what messages does Jesus teach you about money? And so, what would it look like to be discipled, really truly discipled, by Jesus concerning money? That's what we want to take up on this episode of The Bible in Life. Welcome to the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I like to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology rooted in everyday life so that you can follow Jesus in your everyday life. I'm so glad you're joining me on this episode, so let's get started. All right, welcome to this episode. If you are listening on the week that this episode was released, it is Thanksgiving week in the United States of America. And so to you and your family, I want to extend a very special uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. This year, 2020, has been a year full of craziness and chaos and confusion here in the United States. And yet in the midst of all of that, maybe even Maybe even more so than others, we need to set our gaze on this fact. God is on his throne. Jesus is risen from the dead. And God's in charge. And God is good. And God has provided all sorts of blessings for us in Jesus Christ. And so I hope you have a great Thanksgiving here in the United States and you celebrate all the blessings that God has given you. All right, in this episode, we want to talk specifically about... Uh, Jesus and money. And maybe that strikes you as a an uncomfortable topic. Maybe that's a topic where it's like, boom, I just want to jump off this podcast right away. I don't really know how you feel about that. Here's what I do know. Our discipleship to Jesus has to deal with our finances if we're actually going to be a fully devoted follower of him. And the reason for that is because finances are such a central part of life. And so if if discipleship is going to happen in the context of our everyday life, then it's going to, in some form or fashion, affect how we feel about, how we think about, and how we view our finances. The vast majority of listeners of this podcast live here in the United States, but not all of them. We have listeners from all around the world. Um, And every culture has its own particular view of, own particular values about, own particular expectations for money and finance. And so here in the United States where I live, let let me just tell you this, like if you grew up here in the United States, then you've been discipled in the United States of America's view of money. And it has a very deep and a very real view of money. For example, did you realize that here in the United States of America, we have twice as many malls as we have high schools? Think about that. We have twice as many shopping malls as we have high schools. That's a really shocking statistic to us, and it tells us something about our view of money and stuff. Not only that, but here in the States, we have over 35 thousand storage facilities scattered around the country where we can store all the stuff we bought at the mall and now don't know what to do with because it doesn't fit in our house so we pay a monthly fee to store it it's really a 
a particular view of money that has to do with accumulation and greed and consumption and even waste here in the United States of America. Now, because not all the listeners of this podcast live here in the States, we need to realize that though the United States of America has a particular view of money and stuff, one shaped by accumulation and greed and consumption and consumerism, that's not the only view. And other cultures have their own view as well. In fact, I was talking to a young, uh, young woman from Pakistan the other day, and she was telling me that in her culture in Pakistan that you measure a person's status by really their wealth and the amount of stuff they have. And it doesn't matter whether they get that stuff legally or illegally. The more wealth and uh, stuff and possessions you have, then the higher status you have in their culture, right? Like money is and stuff, money and stuff affects the way we do life. And every culture has its own particular view of it. And so the question for us is this, are we going to be discipled by our culture with regard to money and stuff? Or are we going to be intentionally discipled by Jesus with regard to money and stuff? For those of us who live in the United States of America, that question comes out like this. Are we an American who happens to call ourselves a Christian? Or are we a Christian who happens to live in America? Which culture, the culture of Jesus and his kingdom, or the culture of America is going to shape our values and our wants and our desires more. And the same question can be asked of you if you live in Singapore, or if you live in Russia, or if you live in Japan, or you live in Canada, or you live in the UK, or you live in Australia, right? Like wherever you're living and listening to this podcast, you need to ask yourself, am I a Christian who just happens to live in Australia, UK, Japan, whatever country you're living in? Or am I more of a Australian who just happens to call myself a Christian or a Russian who happens to call whatever culture you're living in? Does the culture shape your values and your thinking, in our case today, about money and stuff more than Jesus? Or does Jesus and his teaching and his values shape your belief systems about that? Which one actually is the dominant shaping force in your life? And so in uh, the next few minutes together, what I want to do is I just want to share with you three insights from a very well-known passage of Jesus's teaching, three insights from Jesus about money and wealth, and then three practices that can actually help us live out the Jesus's teaching about money and wealth, all right? So three insights, and then I'm going to pair each insight with a practice that I think can help us live that insight out, okay? And the passage we want to look at is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. It's a well-known teaching of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is really some of his central teaching about what it means to live as a disciple of his. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus actually takes up this topic of money and stuff and wealth. And in doing so, he really challenges us to think through how can we follow Jesus with regard to our wealth. And so listen to what he says. Let's take the first few verses, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And really, the key thing Jesus is dealing with in this uh, this passage here is he's dealing with storing up, this idea of storing up. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so he's dealing with this issue of storing up. Where are you storing up your treasures? On earth, meaning with earthly things, being rich in the things that the world says, you need this, you have to have this. You know, this will make you count. This will make you important. This will make you matter. This will help you have a good life, right? Like, are you storing up things in this world or are you storing up treasures in heaven? And to store up treasures in heaven really is the idea of being rich towards God, being rich in God's things, being rich in God's kingdom and the things that really matter to God. That's the idea. To store up treasures in heaven is to be rich towards God in your relationship with him and your service towards him. And so where are you storing up your treasures? That's the first question that Jesus is really forcing us to ask here. And he tells us really the problem. Like if you're storing up treasures on earth, then your treasures are incredibly vulnerable and they're incredibly temporary in short term. He says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. That's that's the idea of temporariness. Like they're going to wear out. They're going to get ruined. They're not going to last. They are temporary and unlasting. We know this. Maybe we don't have to worry too much with moth and rust a whole lot, but we do have to worry with just general wearing out of things or things being temporary. I have a laptop. It's a MacBook Air. It looks shiny and new. And I hardly ever use it because it is so sluggish and it's so hard to use. And it's only nine years old. But nine years old in computer terms? Well, nine years old in computer terms is like 150. I don't know. It's like it's like ancient, right? Like it's a dinosaur by computer terms. And so I hardly use this MacBook Air because it's so old. So old. It's worn out after nine years. That's the point. Moth and rust destroy. Things are short term. They don't last. They're temporary. And they're vulnerable, where thieves break in and steal. Like, our stuff is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to the financial markets. It's vulnerable to uh, theft and stealing. It's vulnerable to a fire that could burn up all your, you know, burn up your house and all your stuff, right? Like, uh, stuff is vulnerable and it doesn't last. And so if if you're putting your treasure there... It is, it is a really a bad investment. It's not going to work for you. So store up your, for yourself treasures in heaven that's not a temporary, that actually lasts for eternity, and that's not vulnerable because it has the God of the universe backing it and behind it and ensuring it, right? And so store up for yourselves treasure there. And then Jesus gives the rationale behind it at the end of this section. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the insight for us that we need to hear from this. Here's the first insight from Jesus about money and stuff. And it's this, your heart follows your treasure. That's insight number one. Your heart follows your treasure. That whatever you value, like what is important to you, that's what gets your heart. That's what gets your attention. That's what gets your time. That's what gets your concerns and your worry, right? That's what gets the focus of your life. Your heart 
follows your treasure. So whatever it is you treasure, whatever it is you value, that's going to get your heart. That's going to get your time, your attention, your concerns, your motivations, your ambitions, your desires. Your heart follows your treasure. And so here's the practice I would recommend for dealing with that. The practice I would recommend is simplicity. Simplicity. Simplicity really calls us to resist the urge to store up. Simplicity calls us to say, enough's enough. I'm not going to just store up all sorts of stuff, right? Um, so we need to reject the falsehood that the more stuff you have, the better your life will be. And simplicity is a practice that helps us do that. Simplicity is first and foremost an, an arrangement of the heart, an order of the heart, so that our heart really has a the right center, the right hub for it. And in Jesus' case, that would be heaven, God, God's things, God's kingdom, right? Like center your life on him so that everything in your life uh, revolves around that. Make Jesus and knowing Jesus and serving Jesus and living in connection with Jesus and living out the kingdom of Jesus, the hub of your heart. Um, and then your heart will be centered on eternal things. And your the focus of your life will be on eternal things. And then that order of heart is both demonstrated by not accumulating more and more and more things. We choose to live modestly. We choose, as followers of Jesus, to live simply. We have a healthy minimalism. Not because stuff is bad. Not because stuff is bad, right? God gave us all things for us to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. But because we know stuff is powerful, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so we choose um, to say, you know, because your heart follows your treasure, I'm not going to I'm going to resist the urge to make my treasure all the stuff of this world. I'm going to resist the urge to store up. We'll practice simplicity. So insight number one, your heart follows your treasure. Practice number one, simplicity. Now, Jesus goes on in this passage here in Matthew chapter six, uh, and he, he begins to talk about our vision, our eyesight. And he does so by way of an analogy that helps us maybe get or see what he's getting at with regard to money and stuff. He says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Physically, that's just true, right? Your eyes are open, everything's light. You shut your eyes, everything's dark. The eye lets light into your body, right? We experience light in this world through our eyes. So physically, that's true. And when we talk morally or spiritually about light and darkness, Jesus is saying it's also true. And so he goes on and says, so if your eye is healthy, literally single, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So if you've got good eyes physically and spiritually, then guess what? You can see clearly, right? You, you've got light enough to see. So physically, this is true, but also spiritually, this is true. If your spiritual eyesight is healthy, then guess what? You have light. You can see everything. Uh, but if your eye is bad or literally evil, um, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And so if your eyes physically are unhealthy, right, then all of a sudden, things begin to get cloudy, things begin to get a little dim, things begin to get a little dark, and spiritually, that's true as well. If if your spiritual eyesight is a little dim, a little dark, a little clouded, it's going to be really hard to see. You're going to be walking in the dark. And then Jesus says, if if the light that is in you, quote unquote, right, like if the, what you think is light, like if you think in order 
to getting more stuff is going to make life better and going to make life so uh, awesome and so great. If I just had, then my life would be, and if I could only get, then I would actually have happiness. And right, if I just had a little bit more, right? If you delight. Uh, that is in you, what you think is light is in you, is actually darkness, behold how great is the darkness. Because you're self-deceived at that point, right? Like the darkness is so great, you think it's light, but it's actually darkness. And how dark that is when you think darkness is actually light. Um, Jesus here is dealing with two visions of life. Um, And in the context of money and stuff, one vision is if I just had more, if I could just get more stuff, if I just have, right? Like if I bought this, if I did that, right? And if it, and so um, in the context of the Jewish world, when he says, if your eye is bad, uh, literally evil, he's talking about the evil eye. And one of the ways uh, Jewish writers and Jewish teachers talked about the evil eye was to talk about greediness and stinginess, right? And accumulation. I'm going to get more and more and more for me and I'm going to keep it all for me, Right. That idea of the evil eye, well, that's what Jesus is talking about. And so if your eye is bad, if you're greedy and selfish and stingy with your stuff, um, then you've got a bad eye and you can't see clearly, right? And so here's the insight uh, from this section. Insight number two from Jesus about money and stuff is pursuing stuff clouds your vision. Pursuing stuff clouds your vision so that you don't see life clearly. You don't live life rightly because you don't see clearly. You're walking down a path and you're walking into the dark and you think it's the right path and you don't see clearly. And so now you're stumbling along, you're tripping, and and the further you go down that path, the darker it's going to get. And before long, you actually see people as a means to an end. What can they do for me? What could they give me? What could I get out of them? I'm always looking to get more for myself. I want more for myself. Um... And sometimes all we see out of that is our own wants, our own wants. And we begin to find ways to satisfy our own wants. And we use people as means to the end of satisfying our wants, right? Um, And so we become just sheer consumers, which really, um, in its most unabashed, corrupt form, um, American capitalism leads to that, just consumerism. Buy more, buy more, buy more. And advertisers know this. And so they keep sending messages our way so that they'll convince us, we need that. Ooh, I should get that. Buy that. And the, the more we play that game, the, the darker and dimmer our vision of life gets. Pursuing stuff, Jesus believes, makes it hard for you to see life clearly, makes it hard for you to see yourself accurately, makes it hard for you to see other people lovingly. Pursuing stuff clouds your vision. So, What's the practice for dealing with that? Well, the practice for dealing with that is generosity. Generosity. We need to all of a sudden, in order to resist this pull to be a consumer, to get more, to buy more, and ooh, if I had, and then I would get, we give it away. We live life with an open hand and we practice generous generosity, right? We actually live life caring about the needs of others. And so we look for their needs rather than our wants, and we give more to them. Um, We realize that, look what God did for me. God gave so much for me. Like, um, God so loved the world that he 
gave his one and only son. God's a giver, and I'm made in God's image. I'm made to be a giver, so I'm going to practice generosity. Even if it feels unnatural at first, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it because I don't want my vision of life to be clouded by constantly trying to get more and use people to get more. So I'm going to give. I'm going to live life with an open hand, right? We are followers of Jesus. Jesus who gave his life for us. And so because we're followers of Jesus who gave his life for us, we are givers. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're givers. That's just who we are. And so we practice generosity. Now, the reality is Christians um, statistically tend to be more generous than uh, the, the people around them. Like culture around us tends to be less generous than Christian people. All right. That's good. The problem is Christians just aren't that generous, which says a lot about the rest of culture. It also says a lot about us. Again, here in the United States, uh, on average, Christians give about 2.5% of their income just to churches. Now, I know there's other things you can give to, but just to churches, Christians give about 2.5% of their income. I mean, 2.5% isn't even a good tip at a restaurant here in the States. And yet, that's what we're, we're, we're not even giving God a good tip, right? Like we, we could do better, couldn't we? Like we could be more generous. Like, and that's what Jesus is really getting at, that it clouds our vision that we could even think, oh, I'm a generous person. Oh yeah. And yet if we actually looked at the numbers and saw how much we spend on ourselves and how much we actually give to support the work of God or how much we give to take care of the needs of people, well, maybe we're not nearly as generous as we thought. And so we need to we need to be generous and practice generosity. We need to find intentional ways to live life with an open hand. We need to find ways to give to ministry, find ways to give to needy people, find ways to care for the less fortunate than us. We need to practice generosity. So that's insight number two and, and practice number two. Pursuing stuff clouds your vision. So practice generosity instead of just pursuing stuff. And then in verse 24, Jesus talks about two masters. He talked about two treasures, talked about two visions. Here's two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So you just can't serve two bosses, right? We know this. Just imagine if you had like two part-time jobs and, and they scheduled you for the same shift, right? Not going to go so well. You just can't serve two bosses, two masters. It's not going to work out so well. So then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot. It's just not possible uh, to serve God and money. Um, when we treasure the wrong things and when we have the wrong vision about wealth and money and stuff, it actually leads to a form of slavery. The word translated serve, you cannot serve God and money, is to serve as a slave. And when, when we have the wrong vision about wealth and money, we become enslaved. to it. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, you can be enslaved to money and to stuff. Um, and so what Jesus is teaching us here, here's insight number three. Jesus is telling us money is a master. Money is a master. Um, we often want to think of money as neutral, as if it's a purely neutral thing. Wealth is neutral, right? Like it's not bad. It's not good. It's neutral. It's what you do with it. And there's a certain truth to that. 
But I think Jesus would challenge that idea. Jesus would say, no, 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 no. Wealth and money is not neutral. It's powerful. And because it's powerful, it needs to be respected and it needs to be treated right. Like in its proper context, money can be good, but it's still powerful. And thus it has to be put in its place. That's the point of this insight. Money is a master. And if you don't put it in its place, it will master you. It will put you um, into slavery. Again, we know this. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you need to take care of. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to worry about. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you need to pay money for to take care of or to make sure somebody's taking care of it or to make sure it's insured. And you become more and more worried about it, right? It captures your heart. Money is a master. It's powerful. And it must be, therefore, put in its proper place. And so the practice to deal with the power of money and the power of wealth, the practice is, here's practice number three, contentment. Contentment. We need to practice contentment. Contentment is war against the pursuit of more. Contentment says, I have enough. I have enough. And when culture bombards us with messages, say, you need, or without whatever, without blank, your life is incomplete, or you need this in order to really be happy, or if you just had this, then you could really enjoy life, right? We say, as followers of Jesus, we say, enough, enough. In Jesus, I have enough. His mercy is enough. His provision for me is enough. His presence for me is enough. As followers of Jesus, we know he's the good shepherd and he cares for us. So we say, enough's enough. Enough's enough. And we practice contentment. How do we do that? Well, the simplest, most basic way to practice contentment is to live within your means. To live within your means. Don't rack up a bunch of debt. Like Americans, Americans carry on average $10,000 worth of credit card debt. I don't know what it is in other countries. I just know what it is here, right? And we're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to live within our means. So if we don't have the money for it, we don't buy it. We don't take out loans except for maybe our house here in America. We have to do that, right? Other parts of the world, maybe it's the same way, right? We live within our means. So what we make, that's what we spend. Um, we don't go into debt for purchases. We're, we're thankful. If we're going to practice contentment, it means we practice gratitude. We're thankful for however much or however little we have. That's a, a key component of being grateful, uh, practicing contentment is being grateful. Um, we discipline and limit our shopping. We don't spend too much time on our Amazon app, on our phone, or, or whatever it is. We discipline and limit our shopping. Um, we pay attention to our heart's longings and what they're telling us about ourselves. Are we dissatisfied because legitimate needs are lacking, or are we just craving more? Are we uh, distrusting our good shepherd to pro uh, provide for us and instead listening to the consumerism of our culture? Or, or are we practicing contentment? And so because money is powerful and because money wants to master us, we say enough's enough and we work hard to practice contentment. And so the ultimate point of all of this is simply this, that even in this area of money, stuff, wealth, and assets, we need to be disciples of Jesus, not disciples of our culture. 
We need to resist all the messaging our culture is sending us with regard to money, stuff, wealth, value, status, and everything else that money often is associated with. And we say, I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to be discipled by Jesus with regards to money and stuff. And that means I am going to seek him first. I'm going to listen to his wisdom. I'm going to let him teach me how to do it. And I'm going to use my resources according to his wisdom and for his purposes. And I can tell you this, when we do that, it'll bring a whole lot more peace and joy to our lives. It just will. And the reason is because Jesus actually knows what's best for us. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to each and every one of you who, who give to make this ministry and this podcast possible. You are having an impact all around the world because of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I look forward to talking with you next week.